0: is the RD3 show, where each episode I try to take a complex item from the news or pop culture, some sort of take, and try to cut through the noise a little bit to give you an interesting perspective and maybe some background that you didn't know. So today we're going to be continuing discussions about uh, this war in Ukraine. It's horrific um as you would expect from a war there's already been plenty of civilian casualties as well as casualties of Ukrainian citizens just defending their home and Russian conscripts who are teenagers and told by a vicious dictator that they need to go and take over their neighbor now the purpose of this is to kind of explain to my American friends the things that I know now that I didn't know uh, when I moved to Estonia a long time ago, going on four years now. And here's, I think first, um, I'll mention why I'm in Estonia. Uh, Basically, I had been living in California for 11 years and finished college out there, left Marine Corps service. And was working for an information technology integration company and I was working as like a sales engineer for them or systems architect depending on how you want to call it I really enjoyed that Uh, however in 2016 I was um, at the Department of Motor Vehicles in California and essentially I saw a woman in yoga pants get told uh, after they called her number and she was in the bathroom or getting a cigarette or something, they pretty much told her, hey, get back in line, which would have been another three hour wait. And she was not having it. And instead of, you know, deciding to act like a sane person, she jumped the counter and punched the DMV employee in the face who was about the size of a defensive lineman. The guy was huge. And she ended up kind of getting removed from behind the counter. And then they called the cops. And I'm sure she ended up with a warrant for her arrest and spending at least a night in jail or a hefty fine. And this happens so frequently that in such essentially there is a sign that hangs in every Department of Motor Vehicles in California that says that if you threaten or assault a a DMV employee. You're assaulting an officer of the state and you will get arrested or fined for it. Now, I had heard about this concept of Estonian e-governance in 2014 when I was at this academy uh, called the Cisco Partner Sales Academy. So I kind of thought to myself like, wow, there really seems to be some sort of need here. For some sort of better way to access public services. And ultimately, that caused me a couple of years later to mm-hmm. decide to pull the trigger and just go. Uh, I ended up going from California. I quit my job, got entrance to a master's program that had uh, a scholarship, and was able to move to Estonia and do that so and study e-governance and when COVID hit I was writing my master's thesis I finished that and ended up uh, starting a PhD program so my experience with Ukraine other than having gone there to visit friends and their families was essentially to go and teach the e-governance winter school uh, from my university that's part of a project uh, by the estonian development cooperation which is like a series of um, like state-sponsored entities and universities to try and bring e-governance to ukraine to help with transparency and sorry with transparency efficiency and trying to kind of bring Ukraine closer to the West, like Estonia has done since the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. So here's the thing. Uh, there's a, like, a really long and storied history. And I, I can't go into all of that today. However, I, I would like you to know um, that where Estonia, or where Ukraine is not a member of a, of a NATO, it's not a member of NATO and it's not part of the EU Estonia is part of the EU and has been. I think they've been in the Eurozone since like around 2004, something like that. They've been developing their own e governance prior to this. Um, it's neither here nor there. We're going to discuss a little bit what's been going on. Uh, essentially, you know, if, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, Russia invaded Ukraine. They decided that. The West had stepped too far into their territory. They were afraid of Ukraine potentially becoming a nuclear power. And they did not believe that that was okay. And by they, I pretty much mean Putin. Uh, There was like a back-of-envelope agreement that took place at the end of the Soviet Union. And I'll grab the specifics at another time. But essentially, the U.S., promised that we weren't going to go any further east than what was originally considered western allies like during the time of the warsaw pact so this would have been right at the collapse of the soviet union and uh i guess you know putin gave a pretty forceful speech uh in 2007 which was quoted by chomsky in his book that i had mentioned in the first podcast um which I had kind of dismissed prior to to all of this going on. Um, But it's important to understand that kind of like America, I mean, we can help by giving arms and we can help by giving food and support and bandages and whatnot to the Ukrainian people. Uh, They are on the front right now of, the fight against dictatorship in the world. And I don't really think it would help for us to get involved past a certain point because that's where, right now, you know, Putin is having to arrest Russians for protesting in Russia. Um, Ukraine is, is fighting and, you know, Russia had a fighting force from basically three fronts, over 150,000 people, or soldiers, um, ready to strike. And thanks to Belarus being essentially a puppet regime, uh, because of Lukashenko, they were able to have troops really not that far from the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. They just had to go through the Chernobyl radiation zone. So... Uh, this is what's been going on, and I'm sure you're watching it in the news. Um, so people like The Economist, Associated Press, they can do better than me. So I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to try to cut through some of the other stuff that's going on. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is answer some questions and comments that were uh, stated from the first episode. Um, So, one listener comments, uh, I had time on the road today, so I gave it a listen. First off, I'd say I agree with 98% of what was said. Uh, That said, I think there are some major parts of the story you left out. Number one, Russia is a dying country. It has serious demographic issues, which, if not addressed 30 years from now, it will not exist as the Russia we know today number two it's well known that putin has long wanted to unite ethnic russians i'd argue the first point is his motivation to quote save russia number three you speak of ukraine as if it's not deeply divided country eastern ukraine mostly ethnic russians has been uh, fighting a civil war for eight years because it doesn't want to be governed by kiev number four story of crimea is pretty much the same as eastern ukraine as I recall, Russia lost Crimea because of a dispute between two commies in the SSSR fighting for power. The same people to blame, or number five, the same people to blame for Iraq, Afghanistan are the same ones today who prevented Russia from peacefully expanding its influence westward. Number six, I'd argue, Russia and Germany would be as close of friends as the u.s and japan if the same people in number five didn't see that as a threat to their own power number seven uh there's also a religious aspect to uh what's going on in ukraine between the russian orthodox patriarch and the ukrainian orthodox patriarch there's hostility between the two churches and driving cause of division in ukraine okay so i'm going to respond this is like everyone else was kind of saying good job and and that's uh you know thank you all for your comments i appreciate it but i want to respond to some of these so number 1 russia being a dying country i wouldn't say that i mean it's aging the whole world is aging because birth rates have decreased and um that's what happens I, I mean that's if you want to learn more about that uh oh i'll put the i'll put it the show notes there's a, a book that basically says like You know, things can be bad and also better than they've ever been before. And this was like a World Health Organization um, like scientist who's been epidemiologist and doctor who was studying this stuff since the 60s. He's sadly passed on, but uh, I believe he was like Swedish. And I'm not even... So number one, I don't feel qualified to to, uh, comment on, so I'll just leave it at that. But I would say if you're talking about Russia not having a whole lot of ethnic Russians, like, you know, then maybe they shouldn't have annexed Chechnya and and Dagestan and all these other places. So we'll just leave that one be. Um, I'm not so sure that I would say that Putin has wanted to unite ethnic Russians so much as he has wanted to reestablish what was the Warsaw Pact countries and the Soviet Union. The guy views the fall of the Soviet Union as the greatest geopolitical disaster in the history of the world. So uh, I I don't know if I agree with you there. Uh, Ukraine is a deeply, deeply divided country. But I would also add that like the people who live in the two, like Luhansk and Donetsk, they weren't really clamoring to leave until... Russian propagandists got in there and started fighting for that. Okay? Like that that war, by the way, that's been going on for eight years, it's uh it's a real war. I mean, in in that time frame, in these eight years, Ukraine has lost three times the number of troops that the United States lost in Iraq and Afghanistan from the period of two thousand one to 2021. It's insane. And now that toll is worse. It's worse than it was because of what's going on right now. I just saw a picture of a basically like a toddler, not that much older than my son, with his face blown apart. It's heinous. Number four, uh, Crimea. So the story of Crimea is essentially uh i believe it was khrushchev was ukrainian by birth and he gifted crimea to ukraine and it may have been because of a, a fight for power in the old sssr but that's that's why nobody really responded or reacted when the two separatist regions were kind of unofficially leaving ukraine and the annexation of crimea that's why the rest of the world didn't really do anything other than try to kind of bring ukraine a little bit closer into their grasp that's it and that's why um now five six and seven here i it gets a little conspiracy theory okay so the same people to blame for iraq and afghanistan are the same ones who prevented russia from peacefully expanding its influence westward. Now, I know this guy's political leanings, so I'm guessing he's probably thinking that this would be some sort of globalist conspiracy of, like, neoconservatives and Democrats or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know if I agree. I don't think Russia has ever tried to peacefully expand its influence westward. Russia, from what I have seen, always deals in what i call real politique um they they follow that dime t diplomacy intelligence military and economics and they have a tendency to do it uh without the the d instead they try to give everyone the d which is a different kind of d than the diplomacy that i'm talking about all right uh I don't think Russia and Germany would be friends. I think Germany needs gas. And I don't think anyone else is trying to stop that. It's like when Putin was trying to meet with Merkel at one point, he found out through intelligence agents that she had a big fear of dogs. So he like brought his two pit bulls or some crap. Like that's how the guy works. He wants to throw people off their edge. Now I'm not saying he's this brilliant chess master that everyone thinks but he also is not just some like oh you know i'm just here like trying to do the best thing for the world you know like i just really want my people to 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 really just kind of succeed you know i just just want them to succeed and and just have a good life that's not what's going on and number seven the religious aspect isn't as religious as you would think the basically from my understanding of this, what happened, and you can go look it up somewhere, again, I recommend The Economist, AP News, and NPR. Um, the Economist, because it's a British uh, newspaper that falls, it's, I think, slightly conservative if you're talking from Great Britain's perspective, but for the U.S., it kind of falls pretty much dead center. Uh and maybe a little bit to the left or to the right, like a little bit based on which um, issue you're talking about. And then NPR and AP News tend to shoot what I would consider, you know, straight down the middle, NPR, maybe a little bit to the left. But it's not trying to do the sensationalist stuff that CNN is. So it's it's okay uh, for, like, information. Now... What happened was basically when um, Russia annexed Crimea and started fighting, the Russian Orthodox Church supported Putin's actions. The Ukrainian Orthodox Patriarch, they did not like that. And that's what led to this kind of separation, as far as I understand it. All right, now I want to... This is gonna be a little weird because I'm gonna say something that is, I'm speaking from Estonia, from Estonia as an American, to Americans, to try to get them to understand, or us to understand. But basically, it's not all about us. Like, it's best, the the more intensely and active U.S. government gets involved to this the easier it is for all of the Russian propaganda networks to say that Ukraine is a puppet of the United States. I know that's really weird, but that's just, that's how it is. It's it's unfortunate, but, I mean, donations, these types of things are, are great. Um, but the best thing that can happen in the world's eyes is that Not that the U.S. leads from behind. It should be some sort of moral guide. And maybe I will at some point give an episode on that. But um, the easiest... You know, it's just like... (laughs) So this war, the easiest uh, enemy in the world to prop up to the United States people is china or russia because we have a history of not liking communism but for them the easiest evil empire to prop up and say oh you know like one of the the russian propaganda talking points on this is actually that you know that they're not really trying to invade ukraine like they're just trying to push back the united states border because zelensky's government is is effectively makes Ukraine a United States, like, territory, okay? Which is, it's preposterous, but it's what the Russian population that supports Putin wants to hear. Like, I've had some friends who have told me, like, even in Estonia, you have, like, during Soviet era, there was this force movement, it was called Russification, of ethnic Russians across the entirety of the Soviet Union. And another thing that they would do, and you're kind of seeing this in Ukraine, um, on, on a different type of level, but what they would do is, so they would move the Russians into the areas, to where they were at least a quarter of the population there. And then, they would have, like, when you were conscripted in the Soviet Army, you would have to go serve in a place that was not local to you. So, Like, Estonians got sent to, like, Moscow. Um, The people who would be patrolling Estonia would be from, like, Kyrgyzstan or Azerbaijan or Armenia or Georgia, like these other faraway Soviet republics, so that they would never forget that they were loyal to the Soviet Union and not to to the local republic. And that's important to understand because... When you're talking about, like, uh, there was an economist letter the other day, which was about Narva, which is the town on the border between Estonia and Russia. And there's a very large, uh, Russian majority there. And that's not because like it used to be part of Russia. It's that during Soviet times, the Russians forced all of the Estonians to leave that area. Um. So when you're looking at at something like this, you have to ask yourself what was what was this area um, in the the case of like Lugansk, Lugansk and Donetsk, I believe that they were originally that way because of Rus- Russification. Now Crimea did involve like did belong to Russia uh, prior to them giving it away, but. I think we're missing something and uh it and I think we're missing it in when looking at the psychology of of someone like Putin. Uh I had to write a paper on this fairly recently cuz I'm been studying leadership the majority of my life and I wanted to understand what causes in some organizations, not specifically like political organizations, but like in businesses, what causes toxic leadership? This was something that I've really been kind of wondering. And, uh, here's what I compare it to. Okay. Like there's good leadership and, and bad leadership and they can be characterized essentially by how, um, by how they affect an organization. When you're talking about a business, you're talking about if you have someone who exhibits any of the types of what would be considered negative or dark leadership styles, you get less information sharing, you get more turnover of employees, you can see sometimes that you're not getting the potential like profits that you should. When you're talking about a government, then... You know, you have people protesting in the streets, you have um, a highly divided populace. Uh, And you got to ask yourself when it comes, I know some people are thinking, oh, well, what about like us? Like, we're very divided right now. Yes, we are. Uh, But I, and I'll do maybe a podcast on that some other time. But uh, before you look at either the current or the previous president and say, oh, yeah, you know, this is their fault. Uh. I think that that's a chicken and egg problem that is not... That's outside of the scope of what I'm talking about right now um, for this particular podcast. Uh, But before, I mentioned this uh, concept of if you look at the way that like a guy like Putin thinks, he looks at the world in a zero-sum game. So... If the U.S. and Great Britain and all of the, like the European NATO allies are supporting Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, then by just a matter of fact, those countries cannot be allies of Russia. There is no peaceful expansion of whatever in this guy's mind. There's just not. He knows force. And the reason why is because that's how his brain works. Now, this all relates back and forth. So just give me a second to, to feel this out. So with the leadership traits, um, there's all these different positive leadership methodologies. Like to- or, uh, not toxic leadership. That's not a positive one. Like uh, servant leadership or we're going to do transformational leadership. Or we're going to do this type of leadership, that type of leadership. Now, I I had to do this. I basically did a lit review of all of the literature that was out there, academic literature on both positive and le- negative leadership methods. Um, and here's what I found. Basically, I'll, I'll try to sum it up as easily as possible uh, by comparing it to another study that happened a long time ago. Um, so the f- guys who did Freakonomics, like Levitt and... Some other dude uh, from one of them was an economist from the University of Chicago, and they were trying to figure out what makes a person successful in America and like what from a parent's aspect, what's the like best predictor? Because I had heard previously that the zip code you're born in in the United States has more to do with anything than what like how successful you are. So if you're from a rich zip code, you're more likely to be rich when you grow up, which is true. But these guys used a lot of math, econometrics, and all these things. And the single greatest correlation that they found to success in a child was the age of the mother at the birth of the first kid. And if that mother was above the age of 30... ...then it was more likely that that kid would become successful at some point in their life. Now, they judged this by uh, four-year university attendance and graduation. And they, I mean, you have to pick your battles. And there's no real easy way to define success, so that's what they did. Uh, But the comment that they made when they were uh, explaining this argument is like... ...there's all these different parenting styles... But really, what matters the most isn't necessarily your parenting style, whether you're like a laissez-faire, like I, you know, George Carlin. I let my kids swim in the river because it makes them tough or whatever, you know. Like I let my kids swim in the Mississippi because those chemicals make them tough. Uh, Whether you're that or whether you're a helicopter parent who won't let their kid fall down, you know, Uh, none of that actually matters. What matters most is who you are. I know that that's a weird thing to comprehend, but like, it is who you are. So the person who is more likely to wait until she's 30 to have a kid or have life, not circumstantially, but have life deal her a set of positive experiences, That lead to her being able to wait until she's 30 to have her first kid. Make that person more likely to be someone who has already, I don't know, put a career first or put, you know, these types of things, controls in place. Or maybe you could argue if you're a sociologist that this person is most likely from a high socioeconomic background in the first place. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point here is that all of this, like academic study, the mathematical indicators... It all kind of leads to this conclusion of what matters most is who you are for the success of your kids. Now, when we relate this to leadership, what the, what all of these different literature reviews and meta-analyses of positive and le- negative leadership traits led to was it's really who you are. And if you want to avoid potentially having a negative leader in your organization you have to avoid hiring people and try and weed out people who have what are called the dark triad of personality traits the dark triad of personality traits are narcissism psychopathy or psychopathy i'm not sure how to say that correctly Uh, Machiavellianism, okay? The problem is like most of... All right, I'm going to read to you some of the smaller uh, traits that kind of fall under that or tendencies. And then you can kind of decide for yourself. But basically, it's really not easy to screen these people out because they're good at opportunism, lying and deceiving. They're good at the capacity to influence and convince other people. They're selfish, they self-promote, and they have super high self-esteem, whether it's warranted or not. Now, some of these traits, under the narcissism area, you have grandiosity, uh, exhibitionism, superiority, dominance, sense of entitlement, authority, arrogance, exploitation, extroversion, self-admiration, self-improvement, vanity, sensitivity to criticism self-sufficiency pursuit of attention and uh, sensation and then psychopathy uh, charm and superficial enchantment impulsivity vulnerability absence of uh, guilt and remorse search for just so these people are are smart they're intelligent they are they take risks but they refuse to accept responsibility they have zero empathy they're very aggressive they have no conscience is essentially how you can sum that up according to this article uh, which i can cite in the show notes and then you have like machiavellianism which is like concern with reputation cynicism strategic calculation tactics orientation toward the future but having low ethical and moral standards strategy Absence of principles, amorality, and flexibility, but not in a good way. Now, basically, Putin has been kind of showing these things. Uh, This all kind of sums up to disagreeableness, callousness, um, like your hands after doing too many kettlebell swings or pull-ups, dishonesty, manipulation. And he's been doing this since, I mean, since he came in, in like... 98. The guy was a KGB agent. Uh, His style of leadership is necessarily going to involve transactional leadership that benefits him and his country only. So there is no possibility for any peaceful expansion of Russian power because no one wants to deal with them. They know what they're getting. Now, I'm not saying, look... You know, I'm not saying that I would agree with some of the things that the U.S. does or how we treat our own people or our prisoners or a lot of the things that we have done. But make no doubt about it, there are two different sides here. And one is defending the idea of freedom and liberalism. Liberal meaning the freedom to make choices. And the other is going the way of tyrants and we can talk about china another day but that's i mean look man i don't want to be talking about politics i actually wanted to be summing up movies and then telling jokes uh in this podcast and i will eventually but you know uh we're 130 miles from the russian border right here where i am And, you know, we're not close to the fighting. I'm not seeing people blown up in the streets. Estonia is a very peaceful place. I feel safer here than I have felt in a lot of the cities that I've lived in in the United States, West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, South, everywhere. And I feel safer here, even right now. But the thing is, when you're looking at this and you're watching Ukraine and you're saying, how does this affect me, other than that I'm probably going to have to pay more at the gas pump? The the post-war order that pretty much was defined by uh, Roosevelt. Well, okay, no. So it was planned by Roosevelt, but it was defined actually by, I believe, uh, Truman... Yeah, I can't remember who the British leader was after Churchill and then Stalin. They were the ones who kind of I mean the US sent set up the what are called Bretton Woods institutions that were meant to kind of repair the war or the world after World War 2, which is like the World Bank um World Trade Organization, and International Monetary Fund. Those are, I believe, what they call the Bretton Woods institutions. Uh, Actually, one of those three was not founded right after the war, but ended up being added to the bunch later. So, you know, look, America has a lot of work to do to live up to its own values inside of its country and how it exists outside of the country. But I will say this, and this is something that I didn't really know until I got out here and was digesting history book after history book and biography and uh, foreign policy book. But really, you know, the the way that the post-World War II order was set up, yeah, of course it benefited the U.S. economically. But it was also intended not to only benefit the U.S. economically, the U.S. and its allies. There was rebuilding of Germany, rebuilding of Japan, who are now our allies. And that, my friends, has never been done in the history of the world, that a country tried to do something that was not 100% purely in its own best interest. Now, hey, there's definitely an argument that to be said like, hey, we're not Team America World Police. All right. We're not dolls uh, in an extended sex scene for all of you who remember that movie. But, uh, you know, this this current situation in Ukraine, it's it's horrendous. I mean, to just think about what those people are going through, kids being born right now in bomb shelters while other kids are being blown apart, families getting separated at the borders families getting separated period so that the men can go back and fight uh it's all caused by the trauma of one person and there's a quote from a really smart person to that effect like the most math mass death events in the world can usually be traced to one person's usually at at this point in in history one man's trauma um it's rough. It's horrible. And my heart goes out to the people in Ukraine. Um, now I'm not saying that Ukraine's a perfect place. There's reports that they're taking, like, there's plenty of African students in the country, and some of the border guards are not, they're, like, taking Ukrainian citizens over everyone else. Uh, it looks like one of the ministers sent an announcement to that and said, like, look, Uh, that's not okay. It's important to understand that they don't have the same racial history that we do, but they also really like don't really have people of other colors in a lot of these countries. Uh, Even Estonia, there's sometimes it's it's not great. Uh, It's like a It's not the type of of racism you maybe see in the south or whatever. It's more like uh, what you probably would have seen uh, and still see in the north of the U.S. where it's just kind of like, usually it's not active racism, but there's kind of like a, and I don't know. I I knew a lady from the U.S. Like there's a lot of uh, people usually, Nigeria, Uganda, Rwanda, and Kenya, Uh, send a lot of students out here. I know some people from other African countries, but there's not a ton. Uh, I think usually in Estonia, if you see a black person, you expect them to be Nigerian. And that's just how it is. Um, But like I had an American friend out here who told me that she was near our university and some lady was like, Africa's waiting or something and she was like bitch i'm from the states but so look i'm not saying that these are idyllic countries i'm saying that the people here aren't as crappy as our propaganda has led us to believe throughout the era from i mean we had like two red scares prior to even before world war ii so um Yeah, it's, life's complicated, shit's complicated, you all know that, that's, the purpose of this podcast is to try to cut through some of that, I'm not saying I'm doing the best job, but, uh, you know, please, think about what I said about leadership, and, and take a look at Zelensky leading from the front, and asking the West for help, but saying like, hey, you know, this is us fighting, we have to fight, um. And Ukraine is really, they're the front line right now against dictatorship in the world. And I'm hoping that they win and this does not spread. But there's always a chance when you're talking about people who are unhinged and separated from good advisors by their own paranoia, you cannot guess what they're going to come up with. What they are going to decide is a good answer. And so, um, I mean, the world's just a rough place right now. And uh, I hope you all hug your family a little bit tighter. And I promise, some of these will be funny, but probably not until this emergency situation is uh, is done. Because I just... Can't really make jokes right now. It's just not funny. Uh, other than you know, those guys who ran out of gas and the Ukrainians were like, "Hey, how does it feel to be out of gas?" And also know that nothing you do here will matter. Have fun, deuces. But uh, yeah, uh, the hope this has been helpful and informative. Uh, my name is Richard Dryling, and this has been the RD Three Show. Now, well, I hope you uh, have already learned something, but go learn something.